So some passages in the Bible are more controversial to teach on than others. And this morning's passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, is one of the more controversial ones. And the reason is because in this passage, Peter calls wives to be subject to, to be submissive to their husbands. And one of the reasons that that can be so controversial is because when we hear that kind of talk, the picture that many of us have in our mind and that many in our world have in their mind is of a abusive, arrogant husband oppressing a weak, inferior wife. We just like, that's wrong. And it is. And that's not at all what Peter's talking about in this passage today. Let me share with you an illustration, a picture that a pastor gave me, man, probably 25 years ago, of what Peter is talking about. Picture a man and a woman who are beautiful ballroom dancers. Picture that, just beautiful. The man has a different role than the woman, right? The man's role is to take the lead, to initiate the steps. The woman's role is different from the man's. Her role is to follow his lead and be responsive to his initiative. Different, different roles. But the man is not feeling arrogant or superior. And the woman is not feeling oppressed and inferior. because they have equal importance in the dance, equal relevance to the dance, equal skill in the dance, have equal joy in the dance, even though they have different roles in the dance. And the result is freedom and harmony and beauty in the dance. Do you feel that? That's what Peter is describing when he talks about marriage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So let's read this through. Now remember, we're working on in, improving and strengthening our inductive Bible study skills. And one of the steps we've been working on is to start by noticing the clues that the author gives us in the passage to show us the main point he's making. And one of the most obvious clues is what? Commands. Okay, you, you got to work on this a little more. It's commands. So let's read this through, and if you look carefully, there's, you'll notice there's four commands in this passage. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Peter writes, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. 
For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the the weaker. This means physically weaker, not spiritually, mentally, emotionally weaker, physically, generally speaking. So showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you, equal heirs with you of the grace of life so that, husbands, your prayers may not be hindered. Powerful passage. Now, Peter's first main point is in verse 1, where he calls wives to be subject to their own husbands. So let's ask, what does that mean? What does it mean? What would it mean for a wife to be subject to her husband? And I found the answer in verses 5 and 6, where Peter gives Sarah... Old Testament Sarah, wife of Abraham, as an example of this. Look at verses 5 and 6 again. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, it might shock you to think about Sarah calling Abraham Lord. Because we use the word Lord for Lord God, God the Father, the Lord Jesus. I doubt any of you women called your husband Lord this last week. But I understand what's going on here. In Genesis 18, 12, she does call Abraham Lord, although it's interesting. She doesn't say that to anybody else. She's talking to herself. It's an affectionate term, my Lord. And it's the word Adonai in the Hebrew, which just simply means you're acknowledging that somebody has a position of authority. It's used of God at times and of people in authority at other times, and that's what's in Sarah's heart. So one part of being subject to your husband means simply recognizing that God has put him in the position of, of authority. That's one part of submission according to verses 5 and 6. And then the second part is that Sarah obeyed Abraham. That means that, for example, if Abraham and Sarah disagree on a decision that needs to be made, then what Sarah ought to do, she's a wise, godly woman, she should share her opinions with her husband respectfully and humbly. And then the husband has the men burden of making the final decision. And I want to stress, if you feel like you can gloat over the fact that you get the final decision, you are blind to the realities of the responsibility that husbands have before God. This should drive you men to your knees because God loves your wife. He cherishes your wife. And you'd better make the right decision. And you better pray about it. So men, are you feeling the burden? Men, are we feeling the burden? Oh, being a husband is just as hard as being a wife, okay? They all have their own unique burdens, all right? But that's what it means. It means that the husband has the burden of making the final decision if there's a disagreement and the decision needs to be made right now. So for a wife to be subject to her husband means that she recognizes his position of authority and she is responsive to his authority. That's what, what it means. 
just like the woman does with uh, the ballroom dancing and the man, right? She's, she's doing that. She's recognizing that his role is to lead, and she's being responsive to his lead. Now, notice also from this passage what being subject to a man does not mean. This is just as important to understand. It does not mean that the wife is in any way inferior to her husband. Let me give you two reasons why I say that. And I want to stress this because you might have thought that or people might tell you that that's what the Bible teaches and it's not right at all. One reason is, notice, the wife is subject to her husband even if he's not a believer. Now, if your husband is not a believer, then you are not inferior to him in wisdom, in spiritual strength, in overall perspective. You are superior to him, I hope humbly, but that's just the case. You understand that, right? If you're a believer, right? Women? And yet look at what Peter says in verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So the reason that husbands are to be submitted to is not because they are superior. It's simply because this is how God has set marriage up to work. I don't know why God has called the husband to be the head and the wife to follow his lead. All I know is this is what God's set up. But it's not because the women are inferior. Let's be crystal clear on that. Another reason we can see that in this passage is verse 7. If the husband is a believer, then the wife is an equal heir with you, husband, believing husband, of the grace of life. Look at verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the physically weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you. It's the Greek word co-heirs, equal heirs. Heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So the fact that God calls wives to be subject to their husbands is not because women are inferior to men or wives are inferior to husbands. Let's be crystal clear on that point. Also, it does not mean that the wife should ever follow her husband into sin. She has a higher allegiance than the husband, Jesus Christ. And we can see that from this passage because in that culture, a woman was always assumed would be following her husband in terms of what spiritual directions he's going in. But here it's very clear, no, the wife is believing the husband is not, she has not obeyed her husband into being, becoming an unbeliever. She still is believing in Jesus Christ, which would mean that if the husband said to her one m- morning, you know, hon, I'd like you to go with me today to, to worship the goddess Artemis. Let's go together to the temple. The wife should with humility and respect say, "Um, I respect your leadership. God has placed you as the leader of this home, but but Jesus Christ is my ultimate authority, not not you, and I cannot disobey him. I'm sorry, I cannot. Clear? Ultimate authority is Jesus Christ. And so it's not a call for women to follow their husbands into sin in any way. Now, let me just add a crucial next, next statement about this, and that is in the, in the heartbreaking situation where a husband is threatening you, wife, or abusing you physically or verbally in that sort of a situation and says you cannot 
leave, you cannot separate, God would call you to do what you need to do to protect yourself. So you would say, I'm sorry, but, but God would tell me, I'm, 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 not, I'm not leaving you, but I'm going to separate because this is dangerous for me. And that's the step you ought to take. Even if your husband says, do not, you say, I'm sorry, I need to be obedient to him before you. So let's be really clear on that. Are we clear? That is not what God is calling you to do. It would be to stay in a physically abusive situation. So important. So for the wife to be subject to her husband means that she recognizes his headship as under the Lord and gladly follows his lead under the Lord. And, and wonderful things can happen when a wife responds to her husband this way. And Peter mentions one of them in this passage. What might happen when a wife is subject to her unbelieving husband? Verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, so they're not believers, even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So when an unbelieving husband sees you, wife, following his lead, when an unbelieving husband sees you, you're full of the Lord, you are strong, you are wise, you are capable, and even if it's something that, that she would not agree with, not sin, but something that she would have a preference in a different direction for her to gladly follow your lead, that will, that will display that you have a joy and you have a security that's not in this world. You have a joy and a security that he does not know about. The joy and security, the hope of Jesus Christ. So you're free to follow his lead, even if it's taking you in directions that you wouldn't prefer to go in. It's not sin, but that you wouldn't prefer to go in. And that will shine beauty and glory and majesty. He will see the fullness of Christ shining forth from your humble, glad submission in those situations. And God can use that too bring him to faith in Christ. Now, example, let's say that the wife, this is back in, back in Bible times, because this was written to believers in modern-day Turkey. So let's say that the wife would really prefer to go to vacation uh, on the Mediterranean coast. Just doesn't like the mountains, too many mosquitoes and bugs. Okay, she wants to go vacation on the Mediterranean coast. He likes the mountains, you know. Who cares about bugs? This camp, and, you know, she'd like a nice bed and breakfast, a nice hotel on the beach, okay, difference. And, and so she... She humbly, respectfully shares, you know, here's why I think that the beach might be a nicer place to go. Here's why I'd prefer that. But then she would say, but hun, whatever you decide, I'll, I'll gladly go. And then let's say he decides, let's do the mountains. Okay, thanks, let's go to the mountains. And then she says, all right, let's go to the mountains. We're gonna have a great time. And Jesus is just shining from her. Strength, glory, the beauty of Jesus. She has a joy and a security and a hope that is not found in vacations, that's not found anywhere in this world, and that will be shining blazingly to her husband. 25 years ago, I, I met a man, this is in the U.S., San Jose, California. Uh, we had just planted our church there, and he was a high school teacher, not a believer. His wife was a believer, also a high school teacher. They both came to church one Sunday, and uh, met him and said, hey, would you like to get together for coffee? He said, sure. 
And so he and another a real estate agent who'd come to the Lord, the three of us met together for probably eight or ten Tuesday afternoons at this coffee shop. And uh, we studied the Bible. And he had lots of questions. How can you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And we, we shared reasons. How can you believe the Bible's even true? We shared reasons. Why do you believe there's a God? We gave him reasons. And, and we met and studied. And finally, after week 10, he, he came one day and he sat down and he smiled and he said, so Steve, um, I just want to tell you, I don't think you, you get it. Um, you've given me really good answers. You and, and your friend here have been giving me really good answers and the scriptures have been interesting, but, but I just don't want to believe. It doesn't make any difference what reasons you give me. I, I, don't, I don't want to become a Christian. I'm enjoying living the, the life the way I'm going to live right now. I don't want to change. I'm not interested. And so it was an interesting conversation. We loved him and said, okay, but anyway... Six years, uh, before I go there, his wife kept coming to church. She always spoke respectfully of him. She always honored him. She followed his lead. There was times when that was not easy for her to do. Six years later, I'm sorry, six years ago, 19 years later, he came to faith in Christ. He came to faith in Christ. He had seen. He's a stubborn man. 19 years he had seen and came to faith in Christ. Now, it's not a guarantee that that'll happen, but that's one of the beautiful things that can happen in these situations. That's what, what can happen, and that's what did happen with, with our friends in, in San Jose. So the first command is verse 1. Wives, be subject to their husbands. And the second command has to do with a woman's adornment. So let's ask the question, what adornment is most important? That's the question Peter's focusing on here. What adornment is most important? And look at what he says in verses 3 through 6. Now, when we start reading verse 3, it sounds like it's a brand new topic, that he's moving away from talking about women being subject to their husbands, now he's talking about a new topic. Let's read verse 3. Do not let your adorning... Be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Sounds like a brand new topic, right? But it's not, as we see from verses 4 through 6. But let your adorning be, instead of the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing you wear, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So the question Peter is answering answering here is, what adornment is most important? And the answer is not braided hair or gold jewelry or clothing. The most important adornment is a gentle and quiet spirit which submits to, is responsive to the lead of, of your husband. Now, some of you are from church backgrounds, church cultures, 
which think that this verse teaches that women should never braid their hair or wear gold jewelry. And let me be clear. If, if that is what this verse is teaching, then that is what should be happening. Right? Because we can trust God. Look at the cross. He sent his own son to die on the cross so that you could be forgiven. You can trust his love completely, even if he commands you commands that you don't understand. We, we should trust him, right? So if that's what this verse is saying, then we should be obeying. I don't think that's what this verse is saying. And let me give you the reason why. Read verse 3 again carefully. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Now, some versions translate clothing as fine clothing, but that's not the Greek word here. It's just the everyday, ordinary word for clothing. So understand, if Peter is prohibiting braiding of hair and gold jewelry, he's also prohibiting wearing of clothing. Okay, now, let me give you a quote from the ESV Study Bible so that you can see that this isn't just something I came up with, some crazy idea. Here's what the ESV Study Bible says. Do we have that up there? Beautiful. It is clear that Peter is not literally prohibiting all braiding of hair or all wearing of gold jewelry because if this were the case, the same prohibition would apply also to wearing clothing. Instead, Peter warns against both an inordinate preoccupation with personal appearance and he's warning against material excess in such matters. What Peter's talking about here is not how to clothe yourself. What he's talking about here is how to adorn yourself. And one thing that was interesting to me from this passage is there's nothing wrong with wanting to adorn yourself. Nothing wrong with wanting to be seen as attractive, as shining with beauty. Nothing wrong with that. The wrong, what's wrong is when we focus on the external as the way to do that. So Peter is, is saying here, he's not saying don't braid your hair or wear any gold jewelry or clothes. He's saying don't have those things be the focus of your adorning. Don't focus your adorning on what's external. Focus on the heart. There's two reasons why he says focus on the heart. Both of them are in verse 4. One reason is because, notice that word imperishable. Heart beauty is imperishable. External beauty is perishable. That is, your external beauty in a few years will be gone. But the heart beauty that you nurture in this life, quiet, gentle spirit, being responsive to your husband, that quiet, gentle spirit, that, that shines with a glory that just blazes beyond the most amazing outfit or hairstyle or jewelry. Oh, it just shines far more beautifully than, than those things. It's imperishable. A gentle and quiet and submissive spirit gives you a beauty, gives you an attractiveness that you will shine with forever. Second reason, verse 4 also, heart, beauty, is precious in God's sight. Heart beauty is precious. God is the one whose opinion count. 
difference. God is the one whose opinion is right. Our society has all kinds of different standards of beauty. God is the one who's right, and he looks at your heart, and when he sees a quiet, gentle spirit hoping in God and for God's sake submitting to your husband, he says, that is very precious. That is beautiful. That is glorious. So that's where to put the focus of your adornment. Don't think this passage says don't pursue adornment. It's pursue it in the way that is truly beautiful in God's sight, which is a quiet and gentle spirit in the heart. So Peter would encourage every wife to adorn herself with a gentle and quiet spirit that gladly submits to her husband. Now, that that can be frightening for women. Uh, The thought of committing to man in marriage where you're saying, I'm I'm, I'm committing to follow you for the rest of my life. That could be a frightening thought. What's he going to decide? What if he is foolish? What if he's immature? What if he makes bad choices? And Peter answers this question, how can a wife be free from the fear of submitting to her husband? Look at what he says in verses five through six. I love these two verses. I love this description of women. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What fears you, well, excuse me, what frees you from the fear of submitting to your husband is your hope in God. Do you see that? These holy women who hoped in God and submitted to their husbands without any fear. What frees you to be fearless and to smile and say, yes, yes, hon, okay, we'll we'll, we'll go to the mountains, whatever it might be. What frees you is your hope in God. God is sovereign over everything, including whatever decisions your husband makes, including the maybe immature or foolish decisions your husband makes. God doesn't approve, but God purposefully allows things like that to take place. He's in complete sovereign control of that, and you can be confident that he will orchestrate every decision your husband makes in such a way as to bring you the greatest good, which is more joy in God forever. No matter what your husband decides, God's not worried. He says, unless your husband is leading you to sin, God says, trust me, trust me. This this is going to bring you great joy in me. Trust me. And so these holy women who hoped in God were fearless when it came to decisions their husbands might make or or not make. And let's be real. I mean, there are times when every husband makes decisions that that bring hardship to the wife. We shouldn't, men. Pray, 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 pray for God to give you wisdom, but we are not perfect. No husband makes perfect decisions all the time. Even after getting lots of good counsel from wife, we still do stupid things. Okay? And that can cause you hardship to our regret. But you can trust God. God's not worried about the hardship. God is smiling at you saying, daughter of mine, trust me. Follow him. Trust me. Great good is coming. Free from fear. Fearless women 
holy women who hoped in God were fearless. Now, sometimes your submission can help your husband make the right decision, though. I thought of this illustration. This is, again, our church back in California. I love this story. There's this woman, godly woman, holy woman who hoped in God. And uh, we'd been sharing about taking a missions trip to, to uh, North Africa, and there were some risks possibly involved in it, and we were asking people to pray about going, and she prayed about going, and she felt like God said, I'm calling you to go. And so she shared with her husband, turns out for various reasons he wasn't able to go, and he did not like the idea of her going. There's some risks involved. He wasn't going to be there. And uh, so what did she do? He said, I, I, no, I, don't, I, just, I can't have you go. So what did she do? She could have argued. They could have gotten into a big old fight, okay? She could have given him the silent treatment, <laughs> okay? She could have slept way on the edge of the bed, you know, all right? She could have begged and pleaded and nagged and nagged. That's not what she did. She put her hope in God. She just poured her soul out before the Lord, saying, God, I'd like to go. I think you're calling me to go. But if if, if my husband says no, then I'm I'm not going to go because I'm going to trust you for this, but please change his heart. And so she shared with him. She said, "Here's, here's why I think I should go. She gave him the reasons why. She said, but, but if you don't think I should go, I'm not going to go. I'll, I'll gladly stay back. I'll trust you. I'll trust God's leading through you. you. You just pray about it. Ask the Lord what he wants you to do. It's the perfect thing to say, women, by the way. You just pray about it. So he said, okay. He was ready to pray about it and say, God, she's not going to go, right? And so he prayed about it, and God really convicted him, just as he was praying all by himself. He was operating on the basis of fear. Uh, He was quenching what God wanted to do in and through her on this trip to North Africa. And so he came back and said, God's God's convicted me, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful, but I think you're supposed to go. And she went, and oh, what a powerful trip she had in terms of what happened in her heart and what happened through her and the team and in the area. Anyway, that doesn't always happen, women, right? But women, you can hope in God and be free from fear about how your husband may or may not lead you because God is towering over your husband and he's in complete control and you can trust him. That's how we're free from fear, how you're free from fear. So that's everything directed to wives. Now, husbands, you're not off the hook this morning, okay? A very sobering passage for husbands. Oh, I pray, husbands, that we feel the weight of what Peter is talking about here. Look at verse 7. How should husbands relate to their wives? Verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker physically vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So husbands, we should show honor to our wives. We should honor them, care for them. That's what Peter is talking about here. And Peter gives two reasons. Why? One reason. Because she is the weaker vessel. Now again, 
That does not mean she's weaker mentally or spiritually or emotionally. Remember, verse 5 talks about women, holy women, who hope in God without any fear. These are strong, capable, godly, mature, fearless women who smile at the future because they see God ruling over it. These are not weak women. So weaker here is not weaker emotionally, spiritually, or mentally. But generally speaking, women are weaker than men generally speaking, right? So husband, if you and your wife are walking down the street at night and a man jumps out with a knife, you don't put your wife in front of you and say, go get him, sweetheart, okay? You said, "Hon, I got this over my dead body. And then, oh God, oh God, oh God, help me, right? That's what you do, but okay, right? Now, again, that doesn't happen very, very often, but that's the picture we should have in our minds, You are to be responding to your wife in an understanding way. She's, generally speaking, physically weaker than you are. And so what does this mean? Well, it it might mean that, you know, if you've gone to Lulu's together, that you say, hon, I'll I'll bring the groceries in. Now, she can carry the groceries, right? But what an awesome thing, guys, to do that. Say, I want to do this. You know, let me vacuum this week. Your wife can vacuum, but dudes, this is awesome. If you, just, if you do that for you, showing honor to her, okay, as somebody who's generally speaking physically weaker. But on a more serious note, men, never touch your wife in a way that's not kind and loving and gentle. Never do that. And I... I wouldn't be surprised, some of you guys here, you've got anger issues, you've got temper problems, and, that, and that's, if it's it maybe going on or it's right on the brink of going on, come forward, talk to me, talk to Pastor Ben, talk to another leader here. We want to pray with you because God takes that with the utmost seriousness. He loves your wife. He has entrusted her into your hands. You take good care of her or you will hear from him. So important. Only kind, gentle touches and only kind, gentle, loving words. Well, what if we disagree? Disagree kindly and gently and lovingly. You can do that. If you're as strong as some of these women are who are holy women who hope in God, then you're at peace. You're just going to share One more thing. Husbands, we are not called to make our wives submit to our leadership. Banish that thought from your mind. All you do is you just pray and and you appeal. And if she decides not to follow your leadership, you trust the Lord. Okay, Lord. All right. This is not supposed to be, but all right. I can trust you for this too. Right? Never any coercion or forcing going on here. You never read any about that here. You worry about you. Your wife worries about her. Okay? God will work it out. So that's one reason, is because the wife is, generally speaking, weaker. The other reason to honor her is because she is an heir with you of the grace of life. Even though you're called to be the leader of the home, you're not better in any way than she is. The Bible teaches that men and women are absolutely equal before God. And so the picture that Peter wants us husbands to have is that the day is coming when your wife will be standing there in heaven and the father will say, come daughter of mine. 
and he will call your wife. This may be how it's going to go. I don't know for sure, but he'll call your wife in front of all of humanity, all, all, all the saved redeemed from every nation, tongue, and tribe, and he, and he will wipe away every tear from her eyes, and he will crown her with the grace of life. He will give her the grace of eternal life, and she will be shining with glory as a resurrected, beautiful, glorious creature, loving God, hoping in God. He will give her that honor, and he's saying, I'm going to give her that honor then. You honor her now. You honor her now. What's in my heart is to give her honor then. You honor her now. So what are some ways you can honor her? Ask her opinion about decisions that need to be made. Listen, men, so often Jan has got much more wisdom than I do about decisions we need to make. And that's true for you and your marriage too so often, so ask her opinion. Put her preferences before yours. Let's go to the Mediterranean coast. Okay, let's go, let's do that, all right. Always speak honorably to her. And always speak honorably about her. Honor her, honor her, honor her and care for her. Jesus Christ is going to honor her at the end of history. He's calling you to honor her now. And why is this all so important? The last eight words of verse seven, so that your prayers will not be hindered. This should make you tremble. Like I said, God loves your wife and he has entrusted her into your care and if you don't honor and care for for her, he will not hear your prayers. And it doesn't get more serious than that. Every man hearing this letter read should just gasp and say, Oh, Father, forgive me. Help me. And because of Jesus, he will forgive you. And because of Jesus, he will help you. And your prayers will be heard. So, what does this mean for us? Here's the passage. We've gone through it. What does this mean for us? First of all, Don't be thinking to yourself, I'm so glad my husband heard this this morning. (laughs) Or, I'm so glad my wife heard this, finally. Wrong. What Jesus wants you to do is to go home and take this as a word to you for how you need to be a better husband or how you need to be a better wife. Are we clear? I want the conversations driving home to be happy. Okay, peaceful, not you repeating every point to your wife, man. So what does this mean for us? Let me just give, give a word to, to women. What if you don't like the idea of, of submitting to your husband, or what if you fear submitting to your husband? Just honest, I mean, that, I wouldn't be surprised that's in, in many of your hearts. Um, so what should you do? Here we are, here's the passage, here's my heart, there's a gap between these two, what should we do? And I would just start by turning to Jesus Christ and see his love for you displayed on the cross. Read Romans 8, read the end of the gospel stories, read about Jesus' love for you displayed on the cross and just ask God, Lord, help me to see more clearly how much you, through Jesus, love me so that I can trust you more. That's the root issue. God's telling you to do this, and you can trust him. 
And so turn to Jesus just as you are and see his love for you. See that you can trust him and confess ways that you haven't trusted God by respectfully responding to your husband's leader, by, by being fearful of, of doing that. Confess that. You haven't, you haven't trusted God. And then ask Jesus to forgive you, and he will. And ask him to fill you, to strengthen your faith in his love. He will. Ask him to free you from fear and to fill you with hope, to make you a holy woman who hopes in God and has no fear of the future, he will do that. And then you'll be able to respond to your husband's lead. But then one other step I would encourage you to take, and that is have some women gather around you and to pray with you about this, to pray for you. Some wise, godly, seasoned, holy women who hope in God here at Grace Church to, to be able to pray for you, counsel you, encourage you. You don't need, need to go into all kinds of details about your husband, just pray for me. Pray for me. I want to respond with respect and follow his lead. Pray for me, and they will, and God will work. Listen, God, God, God will do this. It doesn't make any difference how much fear you're feeling in your heart or how much reticence to this. God can change your heart. He will. You come to him just as you are. Men, what about you? What if you have a pattern of dishonoring your wife, of being selfish towards your wife, of not being kind to your wife, not honoring your wife? Turn to Jesus just as you are. Ask him to so satisfy you in himself. Show me your glory. Pour your love into my heart. Fill me, satisfy me. Ask him to so satisfy you in himself that your heart has changed and that you're freed from selfishness. You're filled so you can love and go to the Mediterranean coast for vacation because you'll have Jesus there and you'll be loving your wife and God will be smiling, right? Ask God to change your heart through Jesus, and he will. Confess any ways you haven't honored your wife, any ways you haven't loved her, any ways you haven't cared for her. Ask God to forgive you through Jesus. He will completely forgive you. Ask him to change your heart. He will start changing your heart. Ask some men to gather around you, pray with you, pray for you. Again, you don't need to go into a lot of details about your wife. Just say, pray for me. I want to be a better husband. That's what it's about. And he will help you to do that. So Grace Church... Husbands, wives, and Grace Church, this can display Jesus' glory powerfully to Abu Dhabi. Having your marriage this way will be a beautiful, stunning display of adornment, of beauty, of glory, of Jesus' glory shining through your marriage. Abu Dhabi needs to see and feel the glory of Jesus, and our marriages can shine with Jesus' glory. So Grace Church, I want to call you. Let's obey what God's saying through Peter. Wives, respectfully follow the lead of your husband, and husbands, honor your wives and care for them, for the glory of Christ. Let's stand up. I want to pray for us. God, I ask that you would bring your power upon us right now. You can change any heart in this room right now. You can free women's hearts from fear if they're fearful of what this might mean. You can free them from fear so that they are hoping in God and smiling at the future because they see you ruling over everything. You can free men's hearts who are selfish 
who have been unkind and dishonoring and you can humble them, you can melt them with conviction before your glory and then you can heal them and forgive them and raise them up as godly, humble, loving, honoring husbands. You can do this, Lord. I plead with you, Lord, do this here in Grace Church. Abu Dhabi needs to see marriages that are shining with your glory. Let us obey your word by your power, which is the only way we can do it, but you promise that you will do it as we come to you, as we cry out to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.